Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to episode 98 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I am your host, Jack Rico, and if you are new to the show, thank you for discovering us. This week's episode, I chat with film and culture critic Mike Sargent about two movies now out in theaters, Steve McQueen's female heist movie, Widows, and Mark Wahlberg's family film, Instant Family, just in time for Thanksgiving. Then I chat with Elizabeth Rosario. She is the founder of the Latinx newsletter, The Latinx Collective, to discuss why you should subscribe to a newsletter and how Latinx culture is here to stay. Let's begin with movies. And joining me now is Mike Sargent. You can see him at Fox Business News as well as PBS. And you can listen to him on WBAI Radio here in New York. Mike Sargent is here. Jack Rico. Hey, uh, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Some really good movies are coming out. Uh, You know, this is when Hollywood uh, really puts out some of the best quality films of the year. I wouldn't say that every single one is a quality, but it's the one that has the most amount of draw. Why do you think they do this, Mike? Well, because, first of all, this is the season. You know, you want films that you want to win Oscars to be fresh in the minds. This is the season for all the awards. So you release films towards the the last quarter of the year because that's when it'll be fresh in the minds of all the people voting. You know, and you don't have to mount as much of a campaign to get people to remember this great film that came out in February. Right, and I think everybody likes to eat their food and then go to the movies. I think it's like a tradition that happens here in America – I'm not sure if it happens anywhere else, but it's definitely like something to do. Uh, And uh, you can have your award attention, but your movie can also make a lot of money because it's like a four or five day essentially opening as opposed to your regular two, three day opening. Two movies that I want to talk about, Widows that comes out this week and Instant Family from Paramount Pictures. Let's begin with Widows. You have no idea, do you? What did you choose not to know? Your husband stole $2 million from me. My husband left me the plans for his next job. All I need is a crew to pull it off. Why should we trust you anyway? Because I'm the only one standing between you and a bullet in your head. It's a Steve McQueen movie. And as you know, Steve McQueen was the director of 12 Years a Slave. He's become a very renowned director uh, who does great cinema, uh, best picture winner, Uh, And this is a very highly anticipated film. It stars Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez. uh, It's Liam Neeson. Man, you had told me, because you had seen it before me, that this movie was not great, but it was good. 
And I said, hmm, that good, what does that good mean? And, and I think what I was trying to figure out during the film is, where does this good rank? Is it good enough for me to go see it and recommend it, or is it good enough for me to see it on DVD? And I got to tell you, that opening scene was crazy. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes. Here's what I recommend. If you're going to go see Widows, Widows, according to GoldDerby.com, top 10 films to be considered for an Oscar picture. Okay, I was pretty astounded by that, but it's making an argument that it is a fantastic film to see, and it's making an argument that it has a potential to be talked about in some way, either best director, maybe best actress in Viola Davis, uh, and that's probably where I probably see it. Regardless, great, great thriller if you want to see a, a, a fantastic, remarkable director at the height of his powers uh, working on an action thriller, almost or like a drama thriller, this movie gives you everything you want. Even the twists that a lot of people are expecting in Liam Neeson movies, they're here. And so, Mike, I thought it was above average. I thought it was a little better than good. I wouldn't call it great because it did have some defects. But right. man... Much like, uh, you know, movies that you weren't expecting them to be anything and they leave a lasting impact on you. I think Widows did a great job of that. Well, I agree with everything you said. I would say that and I didn't want to bias your opinion. I would say it's very good. It's a very good movie. It does a lot of things. And you mentioned it is Steve McQueen, but the co-writer is is Gillian Flynn, the, the best-selling author who did Gone Girl. So that's definitely significant. And, you know, it's it's. It's a movie that breaks a lot of conventions. It does some things through the course of this story. We see things we've never seen before, you know, Uh, not just these female characters uh, being so empowered to do what they do, uh, but, you know, even the interracial uh, relationship, which is so in your face from the opening scene and something you really don't expect. And the, 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 the fact that they don't not mention certain things but they also don't they're not heavy handed about the 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 racial politics the gender politics you know the 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 class politics there's a lot going on in this movie yeah. i think it really works it really comes together well and like you said this is a filmmaker a storyteller at the top of his game top of his game stretching himself doing more and the cast yeah. i love da- daniel kalua does a great Part. He's Jackie the Weaver. actor from Get Out. Yes, uh, Robert Weaver. Duvall from The, the Godfather. Duvall. Everybody has their moment. Uh, let me just kind of set up the premise. The premise about Widows is set in contemporary Chicago, and it's about four women whose husbands were thieves and were killed in a massacre between the SWAT team and them. And these thieves had stolen some money. Um, but then they were killed. And so these four women are essentially left without anything and trying to figure out what to do next with their lives. So they it essentially becomes like an Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Eight heist movie towards the, the middle of the film. Uh, but it was done in such a cinematic, artistic way that it didn't feel like a hokey, campy heist movie because the cast was phenomenal. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of comedy here. It was very dramatic. And the damn action sequences, man. That opening shot, I'm still talking about it because it goes from dramatic scene to 
chaos. And it was one of the best opening scenes I've seen in 2018 in terms of grabbing your attention right off the bat. Well, it's a great opening also because what it does is you see all this action with all these characters you don't really know, but he smartly cast all these well-known actors. So you know them as actors, but you don't know who they are. And as the action's happening, you start to discover who they are. So now each time you cut back to the action, the stakes are a little higher. Yes. Because, because now you, you care about this character. And then we flash and then we see and you care about. So by the time the action's coming to its its apex, you know who all these characters are. You don't want anybody to die. And of course, things start happening. What did you like about this film? And what do you think people should be expecting when they go see this film, if they should go see it? You mentioned uh, Ocean's 8 uh, or whatever that last one was called. Yeah, Ocean's, uh, I- uh, Ocean's yeah, 8. Yeah, th- that was like Pablum, in my opinion. I think this is more, <laughs> more akin to to set it off which I think had sort of that gritty urban thing going. And this has people, it has bad guys who, you know, we know they're bad. We have female characters who we like, but they're doing things that you might question their ethics. So there's a lot of things here. What I think you'll like about it is the diversity of characters, how they all come from different worlds, and they all collide in, in, in some of the best way. Part of the Widows team is two black women, Viola Davis and Cynthia Ervo. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez, a Latina, and they speak Spanish in the film too. Yes, uh, they do. They have like full Spanish-speaking scenes. Yes. Uh, and I thought that was great. And they included a, fa- uh, a Latina family, uh, which yes. is Michelle. So I thought that it did a fantastic job of, of, of making it seem more realistic and more in tone Absolutely. with today's. I, I agree. That, that's what I meant, where, you know, we're, we're meeting people, characters from literally different worlds, different cultures, different class, uh, uh, and different levels of corruption from, from the, 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 the part of the gang to the head of the gang to who the head of the gang is working with. Right. And beyond up to politicians as well. So now let's talk about instant family. There's so many kids in foster care and they're having an orientation. Ellie, people who take in foster kids are really special. The kind of people who volunteer when it's not even a holiday. We don't even volunteer on a holiday. Look at the big kids. Everybody's avoiding them. I'm going to go and say hi. But they're teenagers, okay? They use drugs and they watch people playing video games on YouTube. We're not equipped for any of that. Hi, just FYI, we can all hear you. It's okay. Don't mingle with the kitties and uh, don't give it another thought. Bye-bye. I had a chance to see this uh, a while back. Paramount Pictures had called me in for a very, very early screening. Uh, This is a movie that stars Mark Wahlberg, Rose Byrne. It has Isabel Monaire, which is the new Selena Gomez. Um, And it's directed by a guy (laughs) named Sean Anders. And I had not really heard of Sean Anders. Do you know him? Uh, I I know him from a couple other things he did. I mean... He, you know, he hasn't done anything great. I mean, he did Daddy's Home, you know. Yeah, he's done a lot uh, of Adam a, Sandler right. movies. You know, uh, that kind of thing. He did Horrible right. Bosses, uh, Two, you know. We're the did. Miller. So he's good at, at, at like, at like uh, heartwarming comedies. Yeah, but also high concept. His claim to fame was Hot Tub Time Machine. That was the thing that put him on the map. Yeah, that was pretty creative. Uh, but that one that you got to see, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. with a couple of psychedelics <laughs> exactly. in you. Uh, well, um, he also did Mr. Popper's Pinions, Pop Penguins. But um, yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. I I, I got it. I, I thought it was uh, a comedy uh, dealing with something that's not dealt with that often, which is uh, adoption. Which is adoption, but also to a certain extent, uh, white guilt. 
you know, and and the whole notion of these white families adopting children of another race and why they do it, how they feel like and and how they may be judged for doing it and how they judge themselves and that part of what makes them do it. And I thought that that was a little bit brave, you know, in in a kind of a throwaway uh, comedy kind of thing. That was excellently that? put because it's not something that I had really made the connection with about the white guilt, but you're absolutely right. There was a, a scene where Isabel Monet says, you and your entitled whiteness mm-hmm. uh, just feels guilty about, you know, uh, the fact that uh, we're we're brown skin families and you don't know how to deal with that. And you feel like right. because you're white, you, you, you you're you're giving us charity. We don't want right. your charity. Right. And that kind of made her kind of rethink her uh, her assessment of why she was adopting exactly kids. exactly was and she really that that- doing it for the charity reasons to make herself feel good or was she really doing it because she wanted a family i and again to address that in a comedy and and to not skip over that i thought that was pretty brave so the movie is essentially an adoption Thanksgiving family film. It's perfect for Thanksgiving, but yes, it's it a lot more realistic in terms with the process of how to adopt kids. So if you've ever been, if you're listening to the podcast and you've ever been in a situation where you've either adopted someone uh, or know someone that has adopted someone and you've had or conversations you, or with you them, are adopted or you are adopted. Exactly. Uh, then this is a really interesting film where, yes, it's a comedy, so you will laugh. There's a lot of realistic confrontations and a lot of truths that are being said here that I didn't necessarily think belonged a part of this comedy. And Sean Anders, the director, this is almost a biographical story. Yes, yes it is. Yes it is. He went through this, him and his wife, um wanted a family, but they thought that they had already been too old to have a family. And they started talking about adoption and not adopting a baby, but adopting like older children uh, up to a teenager. And they adopted three Latino kids. And Isabel Moner is the older one. And uh, it was about how a white family adopts a Latino two, three Latino kids and how that interaction with their social circle, with their neighborhood, with their neighbors, how that all sort of clashed and how they thought it was all going to be easy because they researched and prepared. And what you can never prepare for is getting to know someone for the very first time and then all of a sudden acting like your mom and dad when you're really not. What I love about comedy and science fiction, and I I think what they have in common, and, and if you know me, you may have heard me say this before, is that comedy and science fiction have the ability to to disarm you enough as a, as a viewer, as a story, to, to allow you to talk about uh, the human condition and talk about things that you couldn't in a drama. You know, you can address things you couldn't. If if you address this in a drama, I don't think this film would have worked. I think no, it, people would have turned off. Nobody would have gotten it. People would not necessarily want to see a film about the trials and tribulations of, you know, adopting in White Guild and all. I don't think people would want to. But I think in a comedy, I think that that is the perfect place to address these things. So I, I, I think there's room for uh, comedy with social commentary because I, I feel... 
that that's part of what's wrong with comedy. You're at Thanksgiving, you're eating your dinner, and you could watch Widows, which is more of an action thriller, uh, but done very cinematically and almost to an, an artistic way. So this is a very high-quality action thriller in terms of uh, Widows. Instant Family, I think, is something you can take your grandmother to, you can take anybody to, because it really hits home on the definition of what family is. Family is not, what this movie is telling you is that family isn't necessarily uh, family by blood. Family is when you commit to taking care of someone, to going through all the trials and tribulations and the struggles of growing up with someone and taking care of them and loving them in a different way. And this movie really puts that out there. Um, it even goes and talks a lot about some of the conflicts and some of the uh, some of the cons about adopting and how this is not easy. The movie tells you adoption is not easy. And you know, it's interesting too. The one of the other things I think this movie. Uh, does, you know, besides being family friendly, but like a movie we talked about last week, you know, a good comedy will have a lot of small parts done really well. I think the takeaway here is that if you're going to go see Instant Family, get ready to laugh. Um, I'm not sure if Mark Wahlberg was the best cast no. yeah, he's, uh, yeah, to be he, play he, the father. He pushes a little too hard. Yeah. He pushes a little too hard, and I just don't see him uh, as a yeah. father adopting three Latino kids. You know, I also don't see him doing no. that. No. Uh, it was well, hard for me to swallow him yeah. doing the Transformers. So I was just going to say that. I was just going to say it's hard for me to believe him fighting big robots. <laughs> <laughs> but we've gotten used to it. And, you know, he's a likable guy, so, so, so it gets through. Yes, yes. Well, I definitely think it's worth seeing. It's definitely a good family film. Uh, and it is fun and, and like you said you'll be surprised at what they cover because you really wouldn't think they would Mike Sargent Fox Business News PBS WBAI Radio in New York thanks a lot man for uh, coming on and uh, talking a little bit of movies happy Thanksgiving alright you too man Before we head on to our next interview, it's time for a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie news of the week. Alfonso Cuaron's new film Roma will open November 21st in Mexico City, Guadalajara, and Monterrey. Paz de la Huerta sues Harvey Weinstein for sexual battery. Guillermo del Toro opposes Warner Media's decision to fold the classic movie website Filmstruck. And the Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, is the best documentary of 2018 for the Critics' Choice Documentary Awards. In TV news, Dish TV has removed all Univision channels from their service. Diego Luna and Chilean actor Pedro Pascal will lead upcoming Star Wars TV shows on the new Disney Plus streaming service. MTV is bringing back Spring Break and Amazon signs a Latin American content deal with Viacom. Switching over to music, Uruguayan singer Jorge Drexler won Record of the Year and Song of the Year at the 2018 Latin Grammys. Cardi B will co-judge a new Netflix music competition series to find the next hip-hop star. Chance the Rapper is developing a musical with MGM and Kanye West and Mark Zuckerberg, yes, that same Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, sang I Want It That Way from the Backstreet Boys at a karaoke. Tell me why ain't nothing but a 
That whole headline is all types of bizarre. And in digital and social media news, Instagram will now let users shop items from video posts. Spotify launches app for Apple Watch. Apple is getting into the movie business. And Facebook is planning to use your family photos to target ads. Earlier this year, I stumbled on a newsletter for Latin X's called the Latin X Collective. And it was really the first time I had seen a newsletter addressed to someone like me. Elizabeth Rosario, the creator of the Latin X Collective, joins me now to discuss the importance of newsletters, Latin X culture, and why there's a dearth of Latinos in Silicon Valley. Why did you start your newsletter, the Latin X Collective? Yeah, so you know, I did that for a few reasons. Um, it was I was inspired about this because after you know the 2016 election, like so many of us. I was just having a real problem taking care of my mental health while reading the news. And I also work in the industry because mm -hmm. I work in the communication space. So I constantly have to keep track of everything that's going on. And I just, you know, I can't escape it. I can't turn it off. And so there were two main issues that I was having. And that was around how the Latino community was being portrayed, both by the administration as well as the mainstream media. And, and so... Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, those were basically that any coverage that had to do with us, any stories or perspectives being shared about our community was making it, it appear as if we were a burden on this country, as if we were not contributing anything positive. And, you know, in the meantime, though, like, you know, we have there was a one of the stories that I included recently, I think it was a month ago, was that there are four million Latino owned businesses in the U.S. that are contributing over seven hundred billion dollars to the U.S. economy annually. Wow. The second reason yeah, it's, you know, we, we don't know these things because they make it seem, again, like we're a burden here. The second reason I did it was that I just, and I know this is something that you've talked about in your podcast to other people, but this is a time when our community needs to be coming together, and yet we're just so divided. And there are, you know, many reasons for that, of course, historically, and also because we're such a complicated demographic, mm -hmm. you know, we're not one race. Um, and so unlike other communities where they can kind of um, you know, unite in those ways. It becomes very difficult for us. We speak the language. We don't speak the language. You know, we speak different languages. We're from different places, different cultures, different foods. So it does become very complicated. And so that was just very hard for me. So I was like, why can't we also unite? Why can't we get together? So that's a lot of what I wanted to work on for this. And, you know, primarily it was kind of selfishly just for me. And then I, I found out that so many other people were having the same issue. How are you getting information here? What is the research process for you? Uh, how long does it take you to build a newsletter uh, episode, so to speak? Um, okay. Is it really difficult? Are you seeing a dearth of information that you want to be able to share? Yeah. Um, so I send it out every week. And what I do is I have I, I figured out a format where I do like five top stories of the week. And it's not necessarily things that come out that week. It's more of things that are recent or sometimes people kind of share things on Twitter, even though it's a story that's a few months old or, you know, something that happened and there's like an update to it. So I'll try to include, I just, again, I really want to include a mix of different things. Um, and so I'll do that, just making sure, okay, I might say like during the week, I kind of throw in what I think my five are going to be. And then later on, I found out, oh no, like something else came that's really good. So I'm going to save that for next time or I'll scrap it because I, I basically save them on a list. And then I have to go through and read every single one, of course. Mm -hmm. So I'm reading all of this and I'm putting my, you know, like high level um, perspective on it because I really want to make sure that it's positive. And, 
you know, for example, like I have some friends who they don't have time to read all of, you know, five different articles. So they kind of just look at it as a summary. The content of what you have, is it only exclusively entertainment? Is it social commentary? Is it politics? What can most people, you know, when they see your newsletter, what can they expect? So it's a mix of things. So for example, um, I included the story of uh, Marisol Castro. She was the first Latina public address announcer um, for the MLB. And, you know, she works for the Mets. I know you interviewed before her, you know, on your show before. So I'll do stuff like that. Um, so that's more in the sports world. Similarly to that, I just saw a story last week on Alex Gora, who's the Boston Red Sox yeah. manager. You know, he's Puerto Rican. And I didn't even, I don't follow sports like that. So I didn't even know anything about him. And I saw this story about him and they were like, he's been able to build a championship team without treating his players in a crappy way. Right. <laughs> and so like he's beloved, I think, no matter what you think about the Red Sox or if you're a fan or not. Well, you know, um, you also got to kind of take a look at the uh, social geographic of Boston. Boston is mostly a white uh, city mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. I don't know what, but I've heard that, you know, they're not necessarily always kind to minorities. Uh, <laughs> yep. That's what I've heard from just, uh, you know, Same. talking talking to people. And so to right. have a Hispanic face be the the leader, the authority of one of their most beloved franchise and historically in Boston, probably the biggest thing that they have there along with the Patriots. Uh, I'm sure that that might have ruffled a couple of feathers going, well, does he have it? You know, does this guy, mm-hmm. uh, can he take white Anglo-Saxon players along with, you know, the Latino ones and kind of create a cohesive team. I'm sure that there was some sort of, um, you know, social cultural struggles there at first. And so for him to have won a world series, wow. I thought that that was huge. Exactly. It's huge. And so now that he's been able to do that, now I think he's on everybody's radar of like, this guy is you know, really doing the work. He could do it really well. Not only that, I mean, he's made himself a figure for this type of social commentary. And so again, I don't watch this stuff, but I was reading about mm-hmm. it and they were saying like, he always wears this t-shirt that says he's here for, you know, Boston and also for Puerto Rico. The only thing he put in his contract was that they had to send out a plane um, of aid to Puerto Rico. That's like the only thing he asked for. So he's also become that, um, you know, spokesperson and really being thoughtful and talking about the administration, not taking care of, of, of PR. Um, the other, the other type of stuff I've included is for example, what it's like to grow up with a dual identity. So there was a story, um, about being an Asian Latino Mm -hmm. and a few women were talking about what that experience is like and like, Oh, Latinos don't take me seriously. Even though, you know, I I am Latino. I grew up in the country. I speak the language and they don't expect it because of how I look. And I actually had some people reach out to me to say like, wow, like, I'm so glad you included that because I would not have seen that article. And I struggle with that all the time. And I talk about it. Well, you know, that, that, that's also very interesting to me because, you know, and I've talked about this in my podcast before about mixed race Latinos, when you don't fit someone's immediate sense of where to put you, that's when a lot of the distancing or cold shoulders or right. give me a second to adjust to you, man, right. um, which happens and, with transgenders, you know, et cetera, yep. when it's baffling to some people because they've right. grown up in a particular way and they don't know exactly how to compartment compartmentalize you. Right. I mean, I mean, this is kind of similar to the whole term Latinx and people kind of fighting it. That is a non-gendered way of saying Latino. I went to a doctor's office recently and they did ask me, they said, what's your race? You know, I said white, black, mixed. Um, and then they said, what's your ethnicity? You know, Hispanic, non-Hispanic. Um, and so that was really interesting because I'm like, wow, I haven't actually seen that in a form anywhere. And so I think <laughs> we're just become, we're kind of understanding. And so you could be like, for me, I consider myself, 
a mixed race um, Latina. Where are you I'm, from? Uh, my parents are from the Dominican Republic, 100% Dominican, as far as I know. But the Dominican Republic is one of those countries, like so many, that are incredibly mixed because of the history of mm-hmm. the country. So, you know, growing up, people are like, oh, where where are you from? And, you know, some people would say, you don't look Dominican. You look Cuban. You look Puerto Rican. You look Peruvian. I'm like, what? Yeah, those <laughs> days are over where you can just look at somebody and go, oh, OK, I know where you're from. Um, exactly. Th- th- people can't do that anymore. It's just we've become all mixed, you know, uh, and <laughs> we've been mixed for so ma- so long. That people shouldn't even ask that anymore. I don't even know why they ask it. Yeah. Now, doing a newsletter is something that you have to do uh, daily or weekly. You do a weekly one, correct? Yes. There has to be a commitment to that because as soon as you don't do a (laughs) newsletter a particular week because you're busy or, you know, let's say uh, you're a mother of two and, you know, you have a house and whatever... It's not always easy. Um, and as I understand, you also have a full-time job with your own agency. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how, and we'll get that to, uh, we'll get to that in a second, but tell me about the commitment process. Cause as soon as you hunkered down, you said, I got to do this. I believe you're on your <laughs> 25th newsletter. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, you, people start to expect that I've had people that have messaged me like, I didn't get it this week. Where is it? Like, <laughs> I know. I've, that's happened to me with my podcast too, you know? Yeah, I, I know. Like, I can't listen to enough of yours. I'm always like, man, he's going to do this two or three times a week. So yeah, it becomes really difficult, especially again, when you're juggling, like I have my own business. So I'm, I'm the only person basically, I, you know, I, I kind of have to outsource different things, you know, administration wise of my business, but it becomes really difficult. So I've been doing it for a few months now. And so I'm only at 25 because of the fact that I didn't do it every week for a while. And I really had to get into the process. And then early on, I think this was earlier in the year when I started it, there was so it was harder to find stuff. And I think especially it's actually really funny around Hispanic Heritage or Latinx Heritage Month or whatever you want to call it. That was when there was just an influx of so many positive stories and every single outlet felt like they had to do something, of course. Mm -hmm. So then it became much easier to find stuff. But for a while in the beginning, it was really, really difficult for me to find positive stories about us, as well as like a diverse group. You know, I have I try to do stuff, you know, from all different countries, make sure I get, you know, all different races within the Latino community. So it takes a long time. And so now I'm committed and I'm like, listen, even if I don't get it out on Friday morning, like I want to, if I get it out on Saturday, I just need to get it out. And so that's how I try to stick to it. Did you ever plan on doing a newsletter about tech? And did you ever plan on doing the newsletter in Spanish? Um, let's see, tech. I mean, I tried to include tech news in this as well, because I do have, because of my network, a lot of people in the tech community that read it, a lot of people from Silicon Valley and San Francisco that do. Um, and so I try to always include that whenever I see stories about like a Latina angel investor, a Latina founder, you know, a, a Fortune 500 CEO, stuff like that. Um, I think there's only one Latina Fortune 500 CEO. Um, but I try to always do that stuff. I don't know if I will do it separately about tech. I think there is a lot of content already about people. It is people of color. It's not really Latinos. Um, so maybe one day, I mean, again, I know that people are looking for a lot of that inspiration. It's just hard to find. So what I have found is most helpful is gathering a bit of everything because I have all kinds of um, people reading it. Like I found out that I have people in the education space. I have people in the tech space. Um somebody told me that they were showing it to their mom. <laughs> and I was cool. like, wow, 
all these people. I have, you know, non-Latinos that are kind of reading. I've seen non-Latinos that are in newsrooms, and I think they're trying to understand the perspective because they know that they have biases. Quickly, I want to talk to you about your full-time gig. What exactly is it? I am an independent uh, communications consultant. So basically, you know, what that means is I have a one-woman PR agency, and so I help startups tech companies, you know, lifestyle brands, venture capital firms, figure out like what is their story, what is their narrative, um, and then helping them get, get that out to the world. How so, did you know that you had that gift? Um, I think, I mean, I'm naturally, which I think makes sense for my newsletter as well. And uh, I like to always kind of be following the pulse of what's cool, what's new, um, what are people thinking about? And so I got into this um, in college. I actually originally wanted to do finance, funny enough. And then the financial crash happened. And I mm. said, wow, how do I get involved in the business space? Um, knowing that now I probably not a great idea to do that for a while. So I got into the communication space. I had a professor who had his own business too. Funny enough, that's kind of actually what really inspired me, even though I didn't really connect the dots until recently. He loved his job. He was doing a lot of really cool projects. Um, and so that's what I love about it is that variety and me being able to talk to companies and say, like, this is what press care about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what's most interesting about your story. And this is how we sharpen, sharpen that up and then get it out into the world. You know, uh, a little while ago, you and I were talking about uh, your industry in uh, in VCs and tech and the lack of minorities there. Why do you think from your perspective that that's the case? Well, you know, it's because of the fact that, like, I have a friend who wrote a blog post. He was, um, uh, you know, he's black. He's in the VC world. Uh, really, really rare. I think that number is increasing a lot. But he kind of did a study and he literally went to every VC website and tracked who are the partners, who are the people that work there. And he found out that the industry was 82 percent um, male um, and then 60 percent was white male. Um, and then 40% of the industry came from just two academic institutions. So I think that's Stanford and, Har- and Harvard. And so when the industry, which is also why we have so many problems, because things are not diverse. So if you have a board of all white men who went to the same schools, their kids go to the same summer camp, they all vacation together, they grew up together. How can they bring a dis- different perspective? That is why diversity makes sense in a business sense, right? So if that is the issue, now people are starting to realize that, that it makes business sense and also looks horrible, right? But um, I mean, that's if they're only pulling from Stanford or Harvard and people don't have, we've been oppressed for so long and so we haven't been getting into those schools, how are we supposed to make it in? So that is why mm-hmm. there's so much of that lack. And on the VC side, again, a lot of it is nepotism and people that are really wealthy, like they have the money to invest, they have the connections. Because if you're a venture capitalist, you have to go raise money. You're not using your own money, obviously. You have to go raise money from major institutions. Right. And so those guys are usually older white males again. And so they feel most comfortable giving their millions of dollars to somebody that looks exactly like them. <laughs> so those times right. are all changing now. So that's that's a lot of what the issue is. Um, you know, when I worked, I worked in-house at a VC um, before I went out on my own. And I kind of looked around and I was like, wow, there's no other you know senior executives that look like me unless they are at VC firms that are specifically about um, investing in people of color. So now that's starting to change. Thank God, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is the aspiration that you think U.S. Hispanics want in this country? Do they want to become president of the United States? Do they want to be CEOs of companies? Uh, Are they entrepreneurs? Um, What's their hustle from your perspective? I mean, I think we want to do everything. 
I, I, it's, it's, again, it's hard to see yourself. It's all about visualizing yourself in those roles. And that's why I think it's so important to show for you to show this perspective in, in the, you know, entertainment for me to kind of think about culturally and sharing that with people. Because if you're younger and you're thinking about your career, you're like, how am I going to get into politics? Nobody looks like me. I can't ever do it. Now, for example, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, right? She, mm -hmm. the youngest, I think, person in Congress now. The fact that she was able to make it in and they're like, wow, she made it in. She's brown. <laughs> you know, she came, she, she, you know, was poor, grew up poor. So they can kind of see themselves in those positions. So I think we want to do everything. It's just that we've been held back, not by our own ability or by the things that we want to do, but by the fact that either people have kept us out purposefully because they're only keeping their own people in or because of the fact that we didn't see ourselves in those positions so that we didn't think that we could do it. So that's why it's really important to show people that are in those leadership roles or just making contributions in the space in general. Um, and I definitely think, I mean, you know, people want to get into newsrooms, but the prop, but the problem with that is of course, when you kind of come from this Latino immigrant family, like just like other um, groups, we kind of want to make a lot of money and, you know, to kind of help our generations <laughs> mm -hmm. continue and progress. And that is known as an industry that doesn't make money or like being an artist. Right. So that becomes a little bit difficult, um, too, with kind of figuring out what industry am I going to get involved in? I totally agree with you. I think one of the key things is I remember growing up and a lot of my friends just quit school. Uh, has like, hey, I just want to make money. And I understand yep. the issue. The issue is that mom and dad, you know, just don't make enough. Uh, mom sometimes a stay at home mom. Dad's working. So they feel that they need to contribute to, to, to the economy of the household. Right. A couple of things for anybody who's listening. You got kids. Tell them to stay in school, please. And tell them to graduate. Just get those credits. Get that diploma. Because I think that school today is not so much about academia. Um, mm -hmm. It's true, but, you know, calculus isn't really going to help you to get that new job unless you're working at NASA. Right. Um, but it's really about life experiences and meeting other people and creating networks and relationships that when you graduate, right. you know those people. And those people will think of you because you were impressive, because you know how to articulate yourself. Um, the other thing is try and fit in many, many social circles outside of your own. What I've noticed about just me in particular is I speak English and I speak Spanish, but when I speak English, I speak English without a Hispanic accent. And when I speak Spanish, I speak it without a, an American English accent, you know, I just sound Latino. And I think that has really opened a lot of doors because what I've noticed either from whites or blacks uh, or anybody of any other ethnicity is that as soon as you speak, you know, neutral American, a lot of the prejudice that they have, a lot of that unconscious judgment goes out the door and they kind of yep. just see you for who they are. So that's one key thing. And then third, and then thirdly, fourthly, articulate your dream, articulate your dream. I want to be this because as soon as you say it out to the universe, what I've noticed is that there's a determination and a path that is immediately created in the crevices of your brain that allow you to get from point A to point B. And what I've also noticed is your decision-making becomes much more clearer to be able to attain that particular goal. Like you said, I'm going to become a communication strategist and therefore you were. I'm going to write a newsletter because of these reasons. So your passion, your determination, your commitment to making that happen 
happened. It, you know, I don't know if there's a, a book out there on how to do newsletters, but you must have found out a way to how to do it. You must have put some research and time into it. And here you are, 25, you know, newsletters in. Yeah, just experiment. And I think also putting it out into the world, like a lot of us become perfectionists. I'm the same way, which is why I haven't done my podcast yet. I'm like, oh, it's such a struggle. How do I even go about it? It's a lot of work, right? So I started doing this. I said, well, this is how I can start using the skill set that I have and the knowledge that I have. And I'm just experimenting and putting it out there. It's not always perfect. I've had like typos even. And I tell people, well, I'm sorry because I'm doing it in the middle of the night. <laughs> and it takes right. me hours to do right. it. I'm just putting it out and I've been able to get such great feedback. And people will send me like, this is what I use it for. Or like, here's a suggestion I have for an article. Or, um, you know, they're, they're just able to give you feedback. But if you don't get it out, the door, then you will never know. There's a great quote that I heard uh, that said, perfectionism is the enemy of creation. Yes. You are so stuck on being so perfect that you don't even take the first step to create anything. Oh, well, if I don't have this tool and if I don't have this camera and if I don't have this amount of money and if I don't have this guest and I don't have this, this, you make too much excuses because you want to create something perfect. Let me tell you something. Average for the first time is okay. As long as it's not terrible and you know you're at least decent and good at what you do, uh, just go ahead and do it because everybody doesn't mind the evolution. I mean, we do this with sports. Uh, some team, like the New York Knicks are rebuilding their team. The, the, the arena is packed with people. They're okay with it. Yeah. With you being average at the get-go because the expectation is that you're not gonna be average forever. The expectation is you're going to get better the more you practice, the more you uh, write, the more you do podcasts, the more you do whatever it is that you do. Do it often and you'll start noticing how you get better until you're great. And then when you're great, we all feel like we were a part of the journey with you. We all feel like, well, I knew him when he was there. Remember when he used to do those mistakes? Oh, but now <laughs> look at him. He's so great. You know, they feel that they contributed to your success. And I think that relationship uh, is always great. So start off the bat, be average, that's fine. I mean, if you're great right off the bat, bonus for you. But if not, just go ahead and be okay with it, you know? Dude, you're so right. And I think even from coming from um, the space that I'm in, like now, you know, being a founder has become really glamorized. And so mm. um, when even maybe not my generation, <laughs> when I was younger, I mean, this whole VC and founder scene like wasn't as well known and popular and mainstream as it is today. But I know that, um, you know, even my parents' generation, it was like, you, you know, you have your job for 25, 30 years, you don't ever leave there. Like, oh my God, you can't go out and be an entrepreneur. Like, that's kind of risky. Oh, then again, Latinos do, as we know, because they, a lot of times we can't survive in the mainstream spaces. And so the best way for us to survive and thrive is to go out and do our own thing. So it's a little bit different for us specifically. I but I think that now like kids that are like in their early twenties or even 18, like they have this stress of like, I want to be a founder and that's glamour and I'm an entrepreneur and I have to raise VC money. But you have to realize that if you do want to raise that money, like they're going to expect a lot from you. This is not a loan <laughs> that you're getting lent. You know, like somebody's not just giving you money. Like mm -hmm. you have to go improve and you have to ship product. You have to get feedback. You have to, you know, show like what you've been able to do. It's not just coming to somebody with a concept anymore, uh, especially when yeah. you don't have that background um, that they're expecting. I remember uh, for me to get into the media, I knew that I wasn't going to walk up to NBC and say, hey, I'd love to be on the Today Show. That'd be great. Can you give me a shot? No, uh, <laughs> we know that's not going to happen. So what did I do? Internships. 
I did yep. internships, like three, four internships, uh, just to get my foot in the door. Uh, I used a lot of the money, my financial aid money that I had for school. And uh, I was broke at one point, you know? <laughs> Same. Uh, but I used it because I thought those internships really were a way of getting into the industry that I wanted to get into, uh, knowing that if that my resume wasn't good enough. So by offering my services for free uh, for a limited time, not to be abused, you know, three, four months, uh, mm. that really helped. My first internship was in the fashion space. I realized it was really not something that I wanted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my second one, um, I did that for a few months. My second one that I had for about two years. So I was getting a stipend of like $25 a <laughs> week, which is not legal anymore. But, um, yeah, but you at least had a stipend. I had zero. That's why I had to use my financial aid money. Yeah. So, well, I, I mean, I had to basically juggle two other jobs at the same time as wow. having this internship to have any money to survive. And I had a car and I had to drive to work and all of this stuff. Um, but that was the best experience I had. I mean, I probably gained like three years of experience in a year and a half. Right, right. I really put the work in and it gave me access to people. And that's how I then got my first um, full-time job in the space oh, from transitioning that. that. Elizabeth Rosario, if somebody wants to subscribe to the Latinx Collective, what do they have to do? Yeah. So you can go to the website. It's the Latinx Collective. Com. My you know, Twitter is um, at E-M-R-O-S-A-R-I-O. You can find me there and you know look into it. And I would love to hear from people, hear their thoughts, hear they think what I could do better. Um, that'd be great. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. That's it for episode 98 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. I want to thank Elizabeth Rosario and Mike Sargent for joining me. And I hope you guys enjoyed the discussions as well. If you'd like to support the show, please spread the word on social media and tell all your friends about it. You can reach me on Twitter at JackRicoOfficial and Instagram at JackRico. Also, remember to tune in this Saturday morning at 11 a.m. on NBC to catch a brand new episode of my new show, Consumer 101. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.